As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Good morning. Happy Friday morning. Welcome to the Daily Ding. I am Jared Weiss. I am joined by Wazi Lambert. What is going on, Waz? I'm good, brother. Happy to be here this early Friday morning. That's right. We're recording on Friday morning. We have some exciting stuff to get into in today's show. Later in the show, we're going to get into the NBA draft. It's already draft season again, so we brought Sam Ficini on. He is the resident draft expert here at The Athletic, and he just dropped his first big board for the 2021 draft, and it is an exciting one. You want to hear about Cade Cunningham, Jonathan Kaminga, Evan Mobley. We got plenty to talk about with Ficini, so be sure to stick around for that in the C block of this show. We're going to also get into the Kings losing nine straight and Luke Walton shattering his clipboard out of frustration. What is going on there? Of course, we are going to have to get into the epic Zion versus Giannis battle. But first, we have to start with what could be the worst play I have ever seen in my entire life. Washington versus Denver. Denver streaking down the court after getting a stop with a chance to tie up the game and send it to overtime with a three-on-one on Bradley Beal. Jamal Murray, for some reason, he sees Brad Beal coming at him, and he just picks up the dribble instead of dribbling by him, which I feel like he could have done pretty easily. And MPJ, Compasso, instead of just continuing to go to the rim, they spread the floor to the three-point line, and oh the play God. falls apart and they end up not being able to get the shot off, and they lose the game, it's got to be the worst play I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, this is the kind of play that's going to get your dad, your high school coach, pissed off, right? Like when they see guys on the three-on-one or four-on-two fan out to the three-point line because the numbers say a wide-open three is actually better than a layup, right? Like the more you take of those, the more layups you take, you're more likely to yield better outcomes for your team by taking wide open threes on the break. And so that's what guys have been trained to do, even in a game winning situation where it's like, you know, you're supposed to read the situation of the game. It's like, all right, uh, I probably should take a layup here. But guys did what came instinctual to them, which is not the layup, which is to just fan out and shoot a three. So while, you know, these guys are paid pros and they should know exactly what time and score and 
everything is, sometimes they don't. And they're human beings. They mess up. But that's pretty fucking embarrassing. You know, people were freaking out about analytics as ruined the game kind of thing. And I, I think we should probably navigate the waters of that. So there is a legitimate point there, which is that nowadays on the break, teams do fan out to fill the corner and the wing when they're running in transition. However, you're supposed to do that against a, like an actual retreating defense so that you're spreading out the retreating defense. There's no nerd out there that is you know, with a with a pocket protector saying that you're supposed to spread the three-point arc when there's literally nobody in front of you. That is just not how it works. You're supposed to still run the three, you know, like the three lanes down the slot to go to the rim. That is how you do it. So they just had a complete brain fart there. I mean, that was just insane. Yeah. And again, it happens, right? Like you're used to a certain idea. It's, it's to me, it's no different than a guy dropping in coverage, his pick and roll coverage, a big man dropping in pick and roll coverage against Dame Lillard and Steph Curry. It's what they do 99% of the time, except in those situations, you're not supposed to do that. That's a bad play. Even if the analytics say, all right, this is how we are covering people, against those two guys, you don't do that. So you're supposed to know the situation every single time. But like I said, these guys are human. They fuck up too. <laughs> The Wizards, they were the ones screwing up for pretty much the entire season. And now they're like the hottest team in the NBA. And credit to Brad Beal, who is like climbing his way into the MVP conversation now, where he's continuing to say, you know, we're not satisfied at all. We're not taking any solace in this winning now. Like, we need to keep doing this. This is who we need to be. I mean, what do you think of the new look Wizards? I think more than anything, they're playing with a confidence about themselves, right? Where they feel like they can beat any team. Even when they're down, it's not like, all right, we're down 15. This game is over. We're going to pack it in and go. They they don't. They fight back every single game. And I think, you know, it's going to sound cheesy and corny, but Westbrook looks more like himself than he did. He looks faster, quicker, springier. He looks like the Westbrook that we've come to expect throughout his whole career. And that helps, you know, when the guy who's getting paid $40 million for you is actually playing like a person who should, who's deserving of his minutes. We're not going to talk about the money, right? So I think Westbrook getting back to close to what his expected form is, is a big boost to this team. And again, they're playing with confidence and Brad Beal is a monster nobody can stop this guy one-on-one he had an average night of 33 points on 10 for 19 shooting 11 11 from the line Russ another triple double I gotta say Russ getting triple doubles on this team feels a little bit more legit because I think it is a why because Steven Adams party. isn't tackling guys so that they don't get rebounds from him <laughs> exactly and you know what Raul Neto I think it was was a Chase Hughes uh, who said that he was Raul Weto last night. I thought that was spectacular. And Robin Lopez had 10 points in this game. I thought what was really interesting was they went with this tight nine-man rotation with Neto running back a point for, in this one because Smith isn't healthy. And then Lopez, Denny Avdia, and then Troy Brown finally getting some minutes and, you know, Avdia and Troy Brown, they can give you some defense. They can give you some ball handling. Avdia has been stretching the floor well. But it seems like this team has figured out what its rotation is going to be. Mind you that 
Bertans didn't even play in this game. But between Hachimura kind of finding his way, Garrison Matthews has been really good for them this year. He's a good defensive player. He obviously can spot up for them pretty well. It, it seems like the Wizards' identity is finally rounding into shape. Yeah, I thought they were going to be a spread-the-floor type of team around Westbrook and allow him to do what he did best, honestly, in Houston last year, right? Like, that stretch... Two months before the the bubble, before the NBA had to shut down because of COVID, excuse me, Westbrook played the most efficient basketball of his life because he played with the most spread floor of his life, and that's what I assumed the Wizards would do this year, right? Like they would have enough spacing, enough shooting that Westbrook could do the things that he's best at. Um, again, he was hurt to start the season, but now, like you said, they're starting to figure out what type of team they are, and. Again, they're playing with confidence, and guys are trusting each other, and it's dope to see. And that's with Berton sucking this year. Imagine if he actually gets good. Then, then they'll really be able to spread the floor. So the Wizards, they are now two games out of the play-in tournament zone. They're 12-18. and 18. They're just behind Miami and Boston, who are 15-17 and 17 in the 9-10 and 10 spots. So this is getting real. The Wizards could be back. Yeah, they're not the team that's won, you know, seven of eight games recently. They're not that team, but they're not the team that completely stunk it up and was basically a bottom feeder in the Eastern Conference either, right? Like, so they're playing closer to who they actually are right now. So it's going to be fun to watch down the stretch. Let's head over to Milwaukee where they beat the Pelicans 129 to 125. This was a thrilling battle between two of the biggest forces in the game, Giannis and Zion. Giannis had 38 points and 10 boards. Zion had 34, eight rebounds and six dimes on 15 for 26 shooting. It's the, the shooting numbers this guy puts up are unbelievable. It's crazy. But you couldn't overcome Milwaukee with Middleton. He had 31 points on 14 for 24 shooting. Giannis, 38 points on 14 for 27 shooting. And Dante DiVincenzo with like one of the best games of his life, 24 points on 9 for 16 shooting. Plus he had seven boards and he had nine dimes. And he took a charge that was like vital to this game. Right. You know, <laughs> I'm waiting for Drew Holiday to come back to reserve judgment about this past, like, terrible buck stretch. But, you know, in a game without Drew Holiday and DJ Augustine, basically their only playmakers on this team, if you don't count Chris Middleton, who's improved in the area, like, amazingly so. But still, he's not anybody's idea of a primary playmaker. Without either one of their lead playmakers, they come out and they beat the Pelicans. Not much defense played on either side, but that's fine, right? <laughs> like when Giannis and Chris Middleton have it going, they look like world beaters, right? Like they look like a team that could dominate people when they have it going, um, particularly tonight against what has been, and I guess we could categorize New Orleans defenses up and down this season. <laughs> what has been an up and down defense this season, they was able to get it done. Yeah, and I mean, Giannis was attacking beautifully, especially in the second half. I mean, Middleton was really in control of that pull-up game. I mean, there those nights when Middleton is just pulling up from 20 feet with a guy draped all over him and it's going in, it's like he's just seeing, it's like he's seeing the Matrix. He's like Neo in that moment, you know, so... Middleton was really in control of this game. But honestly, what really stood out to me was Zion's playmaking was phenomenal. And we really saw it on that last play. The final sequence was, or I guess the second to last sequence for them, was Zion attacking, kicking it out uh, along the baseline past like three guys. They kept swinging it. And then 
they were able to kick it out to Lonzo, who Lonzo had a wide open three to take the lead, but I think it was Zion was the one that made the great kick out. He technically had committed a charge, and so that was what wrapped the play up. But, you know, Zion, it's been mostly him just like being unrelenting, getting to the rim. But now we're starting to see the blinders come off a little bit, and he's starting to really open up his game. I think Zion has been pretty good skill-wise since he came in, right? Like, we just don't give him credit for it. But he's a guy who he can make the obvious pass from day one, right? Like, he's not like an Andre Drummond type, say, to pull a name out of a hat, who literally is blind when he has the ball in his hand. Like, since day one, he's been able to be like, all right, this guy's helping on me off of the corner three. I'm just going to give it up to the corner tray. He's been a willing passer since day one. But because he's found himself in this scoring groove, he's getting more defensive attention. And so those passing lanes are even wider now because guys are doubling, triple teaming him. So it's awesome to watch his game round out. It's awesome to watch him just become New Orleans' focal point, right? Like to start the season was kind of like, oh, is it a B.I. thing? Is it a co-Zion and B.I. thing is it now it's like no Zion is how we get buckets Zion is how we generate reliable offense and it's awesome to see this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk to resident draft expert Sam Ficini, who put out his latest rankings for the 2021 draft. And no surprise to see Cade Cunningham on top. The debate between Evan Mobley or Jonathan Kaminga for number two is a pretty interesting one. And you landed with Mobley at number two. How come? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, first and foremost, hi, Jared. How are you? Hi, um, <laughs> sir. So, yeah, the Mobley thing is funny because I think that there is a bit of a push in the internet draft sphere, right? 
to potentially put Evan Mobley at number one. I can't quite get there. I think Evan Mobley is really good and I love him as a prospect. He does just so many of the things that you look for a big to do well. Uh, He does those well. But a lot of the bigs that we've seen have success essentially outside of Anthony Davis are bigs that tend to be stronger, can hold their position, are just more powerful in addition to having very real perimeter skill levels like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Julius Randle's 250 pounds, Bam Adebayo's 250 pounds. Like You can look up and down the board right, and find these guys. And Evan Mobley is 220 pounds, and I would assume at some point he's going to put on probably 20 pounds, 30 pounds at some point. Like By the time he's 28, he might be 250 pounds. But the one thing that he has that a lot of those guys don't have is very high hips. And the way that you see that manifest itself on the court is that he can get pushed around a little bit on the defensive glass and in terms of establishing his position. He's very skilled, very gifted in terms of playing with flexibility and handling the ball and he can make passes and I think he's going to shoot it at some point. But you even go back to someone like Anthony Davis at Kentucky, he had more of a well-proportioned body. He was able to go grab rebounds. He was just dominant in a way defensively that Evan Mobley is a great defender. Evan Mobley is not like going to win national player of the year on the back of his defense, like Anthony Davis did when he was at Kentucky. So I can't quite get him at number one whenever I think Cade Cunningham is more of a elite level on ball creator who's going to be an unbelievable shot maker and who's passing this year has really gone under the radar because his teammates aren't really great shooters. The debate for two and three then becomes Mobley and Kuminga. And I think Mobley's just a little bit more well-rounded right now. Typically when I think it's a tie, I almost always go wing over big, which in this case would be Kuminga over Mobley. But I don't really think it's a tie right now. I think Mobley's skill set is just more well-rounded on the defensive end. I think he's a very well-rounded offensive center as well. I think that you can potentially utilize him as a shot creator at one point in his career. He needs to get a little bit more aggressive on that end, but Kaminga is just struggling to shoot in a way that concerns me a little bit. I think the mechanics look fine, but at the end of the day, he is 12 for, I think, 47 sounds right from the three-point line with the G League Ignite so far. So I want to see a little bit more about how the touch translates before I go all in and rank Evan Mobley beneath Jonathan Kaminga. I mean, one thing I can tell you is that I went and scouted Kaminga, I think, two years ago at an AU tournament. It's hard to even remember how long ago two years ago was. And he spent the entire game just walking up the floor with the ball and then pulling up from 30 feet and bearing it every single time. So he wasn't really trying in that game, but he's just like, he's one of those guys that just like has that supernatural ability to control a game whenever he wants to. So looking at your top seven, we have Cade Cunningham, the great playmaking wing at OK State, Evan Mobley, a mobile big at USC, Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, the two stars of the G League Ignite team, Jalen Suggs, who's been the surprising one at Gonzaga, who's a really great scorer, Zaire Williams. Williams, a big wing at Stanford, and Scotty Barnes, who kind of really does it all, but you know, plays kind of in that nether region between wing and big man. So, you know, these were all guys except for Suggs, who came into the season projected to be the top of the crop, top of the draft, and what everyone was heralding as really one of the best drafts that we've seen in ages. Did you agree with that at the time? And do you think that's still holding up now that we're seeing them at higher levels of competition? Yeah, you know, I wrote coming into the season that I thought there were five guys tracking who would have gone 
ahead of Anthony Edwards at number one last year in the 2020 draft. I still feel that way. Four of those guys have been there the whole way. Kaminga, Mobley, Cade Cunningham, and Jalen Green. Jalen Suggs has elevated himself into that conversation. He's just been remarkable. I had him as a lottery pick coming into the year, but I didn't have him quite as high as that. Zaire Williams is an interesting one. He's kind of tough to evaluate because Stanford's situation this year has not exactly been ideal. And then Scotty Barnes, you know, he can do everything but score, it feels like. The problem with Scotty is that I don't know how he's going to get offense in the half court at the end of the day. Not really a shooter, not really a point guard. He needs to play next to somebody that can run the offense, right? Yeah, definitely. He's not a point guard. Like, that was something that people have brought up, and I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me, to be honest. I think that if anything, you're going to use him as like a four or five hybrid that can really pass out of short rolls and make uh, an impact that way. But I think he's going to have to shoot it. He does everything else. Like I'm not worried about anything that he does offensively, really. He's absolutely going to have to shoot it at some point, though, for him to get the most out of his value. Similarly to how OG Ananobi had to improve as a shooter over the course of his early career. They have very similar body dimensions. I think that Scotty is going to be able to defend in maybe not quite as high a level as OG is, because I think OG is just a little bit twitchier athletically than what Scotty Barnes is, but I would say that I feel pretty good about that top five. I don't feel awesome about the rest of this draft class right now, to be frank. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty there, but those top five guys I feel as good about as I possibly can coming down the stretch here of this college basketball season. So one of the more interesting things that we're seeing in your rankings is Jalen Johnson, the forward from, I guess, formerly from Duke, all the way down to 22. And he was someone that was generally up in that class in the top seven, eight area. Last season, I was at a tournament where he was supposed to play with IMG Academy and he left IMG Academy randomly like the day before that tournament or so and we didn't even get to see him. And then this year gets hurt and just leaves Duke early to prepare from the draft, which I, I guess I understand. But so there's been a lot of questions about you know, those kind of events and then questions about whether his you know game is really going to mature in the NBA. So why did you have him down at 22? I've never been quite as high on Jalen Johnson as most people, I guess, seem to be. This is a guy that I had him at 18 coming into the year and was probably lower than anyone else in the draft community, I guess. I've spoken at length about Jalen Johnson. I'm trying to find a way to summarize it from the 30-minute segment that we did on my podcast, the Game Theory Podcast. Please go subscribe. Jalen's in an interesting situation because there are some questions about the foot injury. How real is it? Is it a thing to pay attention to? Is he shutting it down because he was not particularly good this year? Like Jalen Johnson played two good games at Duke this year, the entire season. Like he played well at Pitt and he played well at Coppin State. Uh, Any of the other games, he was not particularly effective by the time that he had decided to leave Duke. He played nine minutes, I think it was, in a game against NC State. And it was a game that Duke looked pretty good in. Duke has since gone on, I think, a four-game run, if I remember correctly, uh, beating Virginia, Syracuse, Wake Forest, and another team uh, without Jalen Johnson. So 
I don't mean to lay all of that at Jalen Johnson's feet, but I do think that there are some underlying issues within his game that he's absolutely going to have to fix. He's a really good ball handler out in space, but when you get him into a half court, he just doesn't have the burst necessarily to blow by guys in the way that he has to, to succeed as an advantage mismatch threat in the NBA. Really good passer, sees over the top of defenses and very good out in transition, but just not someone that I, I think is right now going to be all that successful in the half court because he can't shoot and his defensive acumen this season and attention to detail was exceptionally poor in my opinion has potential on that end I think that if you made me bet that he could be very good on defense because I tend to think these guys that think the game at a very high level like he clearly does have the wherewithal to potentially be good defenders down the road because if you're processing things as quickly as someone like Jalen Johnson kind of can, I think that that stuff kind of does tend to translate. Like we see flashes with Lamella ball defensively pretty regularly that make you think he can be good even as he's still learning how to defend. So it's a complicated conversation with Jalen Johnson. I think that uh, teams are really going to look into his background and see if they think that they can trust him at the end of the day. So lastly, I want to talk about Usman Garuba, who is a 6'8 center at Real Madrid. And he's been talked about for a while because he just, the, the length is phenomenal. Uh, he's, he's a really fascinating athlete. Uh, but you seem concerned that he can't do anything on offense. Garuba is a great defender right now. He, he is a tremendous defender at Real Madrid. He is 18, 19 years old and is already exceptionally effective on that end in the second best league in the world in the Euro League and in the Spanish ACB League as well. I want to get that out there before I say what I'm going to say. I think he's like <laughs> one of the worst offensive like first round pick prospects I've ever scouted. The only reason that he could possibly be considered a first round pick is because the defense is so good, which it is. It's very good. But right now, like he does not do anything on offense that is particularly effective or impactful. I mean, he doesn't have great touch around the basket. He's a sub 50% shooter from the field. Doesn't really shoot it well from three at this point. Tries to do too much as a passer often. Like he's one of those guys that gets into trouble with this middle ground of prospectum, right? He is good at taking a couple of dribbles, but he thinks he can maybe do a little bit more and take like a third dribble and he ends up turning the ball over. There are some times where his hands, I think, kind of deceive him a little bit, uh, just not quite as good as what you would hope to see from a big like this. And again, I still have him as a first round pick because I think the defense is just exceptionally good. I'm just really not sure what you do with him on offense because I don't really love him handling the ball more than once or twice. I don't love him as a shooter. I don't love him really in terms of anything other than going to get offensive rebounds, because even as a finisher, he struggles a little bit because he's six foot eight without like elite level explosiveness. So you probably can't even run him as like a elite level pick and roll lob threat all the way to the rim because these big centers are potentially going to kind of eat him up a little bit because he's small for a center. And I don't think he has the skills to play power forward. So I love the defense. I think he's a great prospect on that end. If he ends up figuring out something on offense, he has a real chance to be an impact player defensively. I'm just not sure what that offensive 
weapon is going to be at the end of the day. Like, I'm not sure where he would get to like, what, what is the, what is the thing that he could do on offense to really impact the game? Well, at least we'll be able to say Usman is it Usman. And that's worth picking in the first round just for that terrible joke. So that is Sam Vecini. That is the man who wrote, was it a 50,000 word draft guide for the 2020 guide? It was a hundred. It was a hundred. A hundred. Wow. Sorry, I cut you so short. So it was only a hundred thousand words. So if you want to know, if you want to know the DNA sequencing of every single athlete in this draft, <laughs> Sam Ficini is going to be your guy over on The Athletic and hosting the Game Theory Pod. Thank you, as always, Sam. Thanks, Jared. Last game we have to talk about here is the Knicks beating the Kings 140 to 121. One of the best games of the year for the Knicks, but we got to talk about the Kings here because the Kings, they are one and nine in their last 10 games. They've lost nine in a row, just like the Rockets. So at least they're not the only team in a complete free fall. And things are not looking good for Luke Walton. You know, they cut it to within five late in the third quarter held there for a few minutes, and then the Knicks just blew it back open in the middle of the fourth, and Alec Burks had another terrific game, 24 points for him. But this Kings team, they've been the worst defensive team in the league this entire year, and this game ended with Luke Walton slamming his clipboard on the ground in classic Steve Kerr fashion, and things are looking pretty bleak for him, Was Yeah, I'm never one to call for a guy's job, but this is the NBA. This is... You know, this is about as competitive a league as it can get. And you have to ask yourself, what has Luke Walton done to say he deserves to be there anymore, right? Like, in his career, he had that stretch with the Warriors that earned him some type of respect because they went like 30-1 and or something ridiculous, right? And then he went to the Lakers, and with the Zygote Lakers, he got them to defend. That was a big deal. He got that young team to defend, but outside of that, he's been a bad coach, pretty much. Like, what has he done that you would say, all right, well, you know, this guy's kind of developed under him, or this guy learned how to do this, or the team, like, always defends, or the team always has a reliable offense. Or, like, what has he done to say that Luke Walton is a quality coach in Sacramento? There's no evidence of it. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're seeing Fox explode. We're seeing Halliburton's been tremendous. He's gotten a lot of really good individual play. We've seen Bagley start to come around. But especially, like, with Bagley, there don't seem to be many defensive principles. I think, unfortunately for him, he just doesn't have a good defender in position to kind of lead this team and really kind of be the centerpiece of the defense. You know, Harrison Barnes, I think, is the one guy in their rotation that I would probably consider to be a plus defender. And Cor Corey Joseph, I guess, uh, in his day was a good defender. But, you know, he doesn't really have the tools to make it work, and you can't blame him for that. But it's just like it's been so bad that at this point it doesn't really seem like there's much, of, there's much to grow on with Walton that it justifies keeping him around if you, if you have the opportunity to bring in somebody else that you think can really grow this team. I mean, especially when internally they had high expectations for the year, right? They expected to contend for a playoff spot. Like, if not outright, just make it straight up. Like, that was the expectations coming out of training, well, whatever we call their training camp and stuff like that. So he's badly underperforming expectations the young guys don't seem to be developing much, specifically Bagley, who might just be a bad pick, right? Like, he might just be not that good of a player, which isn't Luke Walton's fault. But, you know, as they always say, the shit rolls downhill. So it's going to come down on Luke Walton. <laughs>
Like, that's what it's going to come down to. And so it's tough. It's tough. It's tough watching this team right now. That is what shit tends to do. But you know what? We're going to have to roll downhill right now as we got to get out of here. So don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show. We have No Dunks. We have House of Strauss. Plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. And don't forget to follow on the app where you can get notifications for new episodes and you can utilize that podcast episode comment section. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck because you can get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus some fantastic writing across all major sports, all for a super low price, by going to theathletic.com slash daily ding. Thank you, as always, for getting the day started with us. Let's get out of here. Ding, 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 dongs. <laughs>